0: happy to have you here. Make sure to check in to the church center app. And now we're going to take you on to Daniel and his worship team. you a long We'll sing a Are. and I'm so unworthy but still you love me. forever my heart will sing of my way you are
1: amen he alone is worthy amen
0: welcome back
2: and now it's time for us to worship through giving gifts Daddy, why is it important? Well, Jack, it's important that we give gifts because Hillside uses those gifts in our ministries to spread God's love in the world. And now let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the faithfulness of this Hillside community. Please bless these gifts that we are going to give. Please use them in our ministries to spread your love In our own community and throughout the world in your name we pray amen Amen. good morning Hillside good to be with you this morning I invite you to turn over to the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 through 17 we're gonna read from this particular section of this letter and I want to begin with verse 12 so join me in the reading to the angel Of the church in Pergamum write these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword i know where you live where satan has his throne yet you remain true to my name you did not renounce your faith in me not even in the days of antipas my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where satan lives nevertheless i have a few things against you There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it." This is the word of the Lord. Now, the book of Revelation, to kind of set the the platform here, is a book on discipleship. And it was written to encourage the early Christians who were facing the harsh realities of life in Asia Minor, life in the Roman Empire, to be faithful and true to the witness of Jesus Christ. So what Revelation does is it shows me how to be a disciple of Jesus while facing harsh realities in the here and now. Revelation is also referred to as an apocalypse, which means an unveiling or a disclosure. So when we approach the book of Revelation, we approach it as what it is, it's apocalyptic literature. And so apocalyptic literature by its nature is a way of unveiling or pulling back the curtain which gives us a different kind of image so what john is doing is he's writing to these churches in asia minor is he's pulling back the curtain to what's really going on in the community and the world around them in the roman empire now in this particular section of john's letter he says i know where you dwell where satan's throne is this is the place where satan dwells. Now, this raises a question for me. What would it have been like to live in a city that was described as the home of Satan? Pergamum was considered to be the jewel of Asia. It's the the capital of Asia. It's a very important city in the Roman Empire. In fact, the whole of Asia was ruled from Pergamum. And the governor of Pergamum had what was called the Roman world, uh, the right, they called it the right of the sword. So what did that mean? Well, that meant that the governor over all other governors had the power to decide whether accused prisoners were to live or to die. Now, going back to this letter in verse 12, it says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who had the sharp two edged sword. One of the main purposes of the book of Revelation is to uncover lies to reveal truth the seven churches that john is writing to in asia minor were experiencing persecution from the romans many of the early christians were following roman forms of worship there was great temptation to assimilate and go along with culture and if you did that things would go a lot better for you and your family so the temptation was great and john because he's a pastor is writing to uncover these uh, idolatrous acts, he's he's uncovering the lies that are operating in the lives of people. And so he, he says, it may appear that the governor of Pergamum has the sword, but that's not reality. Don't be deceived. He doesn't hold the power of life and death. Let's not forget who does. It's Jesus who holds the power of life and death in his hands. He holds the power of eternal life. Jesus has the right of the sword. Now, if Pergamon was referred to as the place where Satan dwelled, it must have been a very difficult place to be faithful in your pursuit of being a Jesus follower. And yet, when we look at this particular time in history, these Christians had an incredible impact on their culture. What drove them? What prepared them? What impacted them to have such a profound effect on the Roman Empire? We've been talking as a people about being light in the world that's where we're situated right now two weeks ago i'll help you uh, remind you that we had talked about the gates of hell and how jesus promised that the church or the gates of hell would not be able to stand against the church of jesus christ that we are called as jesus followers to go into culture not to assimilate not to separate but to move into the culture to engage with it with radical Love, Not to hide ourselves under bowls or behind walls closed off from what's going on around us. Jesus challenged his very early followers to go and stand against the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, is calling the church in Pergamum to turn back to Christ and to make impact on the city. Not to assimilate, not to participate in all that's going on around them, but to make impact for the sake of Christ in their city. Now imagine what the early readers must have thought as they were reading this letter out loud together. Now in the city of Pergamum, there stood a a huge theater just below the Acropolis. And this huge theater had 80 rows and sat 10,000 people. And in front of this theater, there stood a, a giant 800 foot walkway. And the walkway led to a magnificent temple Now, this particular temple was dedicated to the god Dionysus. Now, Dionysus was the, uh, his father was Zeus. So Dionysus would have been the son of Zeus. In other words, the son of God, because Zeus was the king of the gods. So Dionysus was the son of God born by God. Now, doesn't this sound familiar in the language that we hear as we read the scriptures? This must have sounded like a counterfeit to these Christians in Pergamum. Jesus is the son of God, not Dionysus. Jesus was born by God. Jesus was the God who promised his followers that there would be life after death. He also promised that we would have a meaningful life in the here and now. But Dionysus also promised these things to people. But in order to accomplish this, Dionysus used the power of wine. Now, if you were going to go to Dionysus and ask him about life and death, you first had to be drunk with wine. And when you became drunk with wine, you became one with Dionysus. People would walk into the temple and there would be these huge marble slabs spread out in the temple with pieces of raw meat laid out and they were being offered up to Dionysus and the people would gorge themselves on the raw meat and drink wine until they were drunk. Women would go outside the temple courts and they would run around during festivals and run around screaming and working themselves into a frenzy and there was all kinds of sexual immorality during these festivals right out in the open. In fact, it was so bad, get this, it was so bad that word got back to Rome and they had to shut down the practices of Dionysus. Rome considered it indecent. Like what? If Rome considers it indecent, it must have been absolutely out of control and horrid. Maybe this is why John refers to it as Satan's throne. Now, does the text tell us anything going on? If you read verses 14 through 15, it begins with, I have a few things against you. And these few things that I have against you are rooted in the teachings of Balak and the Nicolaitans. Now, these are people who committed sin by eating meat that was offered to idols and commit sexual immorality. It sounds a lot like the worship of Dionysus. Now, why is John writing these letters in Revelation that was given to him by Jesus Christ? He's writing these letters as an apocalypse to uncover the lie and bring truth, to encourage the faithful followers of Jesus to continue following jesus in a culture that was clearly going in a different direction it's apocalyptic writing to uncover to pull back the curtain to see what is real so revelation is a book on discipleship that's the purpose of the book to encourage stir up passion to follow christ in this world that is clearly moving in a different direction and john is saying to these christians in pergamum dionysus is not the one sitting on the throne In fact, I, John, as a teenage boy stood with Jesus Christ and I watched him do miracles. Now think back to John's gospel. What was the first miracle that Jesus did in John's gospel? Well, in John chapter two, the first miracle we have recorded is Jesus turned water into wine. Now Dionysus claimed to do the same thing during certain festivals. Satan always has a counterfeit. The book of Revelation is full of counterfeit truths. And as a teenage boy, John witnessed with his own eyes, his rabbi turning water into wine. John knew that Dionysus was a false God. And as a pastor, he's, he has a heart for people. And so he's revealing that which was false, pointing these Christians back to what was true. And when you go back and you see the, the miracles that John recorded in his gospel, He was preparing his disciples for what was ahead. It's absolutely amazing to see the parallels and how John recorded certain miracles. Now, why did John record this miracle in John chapter two? Why choose this miracle? Because at the end of of his gospel, he says Jesus did and said many other things. And in fact, if we were to record all of it, it would just fill the world. It would fill the entire earth with all the things that Jesus did. And yet John only chose certain miracles to write down. Isn't that intriguing? You ask the question, why this miracle and why not another one? Jesus turns water into wine. John watches Jesus turn water into wine. And that's why he can say to these Christians, Dionysus does not control life and death. Jesus, Jesus controls life and death. John was well prepared by his rabbi. And the question I ask of myself and and those of us who live as Christians, faithful witnesses in the world today, are are we prepared? And I think about churches and that churches in and of themselves need to be training stages where we are getting people equipped to engage with culture, equipping us to, to see false from what is false and true. Churches need to be these kinds of training centers. Now, there was another temple in Pergamum. And it was built to the snake God, Asculapius, the the snake, the snake God was referred to as the God of healing. And as you walked into his temple, there was a large pillar with an altar on top of it. And the pillar had a symbol on it. And the symbol was a snake. Now, if you were healed by this God, you would testify to this city and say, I was healed by the snake God. Now, Before you went in to see Ascalapius, there were steps that you had to take. Follow along with me here. You had to go through an interview process with the priests of Ascalapius before you entered into the healing process. And they would determine whether or not your disease could be treated by this particular God. What I found interesting is that these priests turned people away who were mortally ill. If you looked like you were going to die or you were old, you would be turned away because there was no hope for you. They also turned pregnant women away in fear of stillbirth. Now question, what kind of a culture would take a person who is old and dying and just cast them away? To say to an older person, you have no value anymore. What kind of a culture would have no concern for a fetus? It sounds like the culture in which we live in today. Now after the interview process, if you passed, you would go into the hospital and they would check you out. And after this process, then you would go into the waiting room. Now imagine sitting in the waiting room, you're, you're reading People Magazine. These people are tired and nervous. Is is going to heal me? Then you got the call and you would head down this long tunnel. And as you would come out the tunnel, you would come into this huge room, 300 feet in diameter. And in this room, there were all these little chambers. And in the middle of this giant room, there were large fountains of spouting water. You're in this huge room, it's dark, there's water running, you're uncertain, you're fearful. All you wanna do is be healed, so you're scared. And you're in this little chamber. And in this little chamber, there would be all kinds of various drugs that you could take, probably opium. And the patients would sit in the dark and they would get high. And while they were high, they would go to sleep. And the hope was is as they fell asleep and they fell into an entranced state of mind, that Asclepius would come and give them a vision of treatment. Once the vision came to you, you would climb out of the giant dome and you would meet with the priests again. And these priests would interpret the dreams on your behalf. And the treatments usually involved diet and exercise rest plenty of sun, or head out over to the library of Asculapius and read about your disease. And you are instructed then to go to the theater and give praise to Dionysus and Asculapius. There was one major component for everyone's healing. And that one major component was the water systems that were all over the temples. They were full of these sacred pools and people would, would go to these sacred pools and they would immerse themselves or they would take mud baths and there was the pool of Asclepius and you would drink this healing water and all of this was designed for you to be healed and, and you wouldn't know how long it would take or but out of your desperation, you would do whatever it took and they would do all kinds of things just to be healed. There was a desperation. Now, if you were healed, you would climb the steps of this huge temple at the very top this huge of this huge uh, temple there stood a statue of Asclepius and he had a serpent in his hand and you were instructed to get on your knees and to say out loud as a public witness thank you for the gift of healing thank you Asclepius for the gift of healing and outside of these temples there were these huge white stone tablets and you were to take and inscribe your name on these huge tablets. It was was your public testimony of what the snake God did for you. And John calls this Satan's home, the throne of Satan. Ever since the very beginning of time, Christians knew that the snake was the symbol of evil. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan appears to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent, and he promises them life. John is saying to his people, Don't get on your knees to these false gods. He represents everything that is evil and satanic, and you know this. Even if it does heal you, there's a price to pay. It amazes me to think of how well Jesus prepared his disciples, how he instructed them, taught them to be engaged in the very culture around him, all the imagery. It's like Jesus knew what was coming. He prepared them so well. And the fact that he prepared them so well is the reason why I think they were able to live in the city of Satan himself and still make an incredible impact for Christ. Are we prepared? John records the first miracle he ever saw, Jesus turning water into wine. He saw this as a teenage boy. And you think about what are the next two miracles that Jesus performs in John's gospel? Well, miracle number two is Jesus raises a child from death. He holds the power of death and life. He determines that. In miracle number three, in John chapter five, Jesus heals an invalid who couldn't walk. And this man is lying next to a pool. Scholars believe that this pool was the pool of Asculapius. This man had lied there for 38 years and nothing worked. He was waiting for the water to move so that he could go in and get healed and it never happened. And day after day, time after time, sitting there in agony and Jesus walks up to this man and in one moment, he tells the man to get up and walk and he does no interviews, no drugs, no wine, no dreams, no visions. Jesus just heals the man. And John witnesses this with his own eyes. And that's why John can say to these Christians in Pergamum, it's not Ascalapius who has the power to heal. Stop bowing to that. Jesus is Lord. The snake God can't heal you. He's false. Do you see what John is doing here? He's, he's pulling back the veil, pulling back the curtain. He's getting revelation from Jesus himself. I saw Jesus do it with my own eyes. Don't buy into that lie. And maybe this is why Pergamum is referred to as the throne of Satan. Now there was another temple in Pergamum, yet another one. And this one was to the shrine. It was a shrine to Demeter. And Demeter was the goddess of grain. Demeter was particularly popular among uh, lower income people, lower class, middle class women in particular. And you would go to Demeter And the people would immerse themselves in the blood of bulls to wash away their sins so that demeter would provide food for their table and christians know that we are washed in the blood of jesus that's the language that we use demeter is a false god demeter was a gentle goddess who put food on your table does the text say anything about this we'll look at verse 17 with me he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. What is John pointing us to? Do you remember that God gave manna to the Israelites when they were in the desert? Every day he would provide just enough fresh manna that would come for the people when they were, would be just enough. It's not Demeter who puts food on your table. It's Jesus. Do you think that these early Christians were really well prepared by their rabbi? Miracle number four recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus stands in front of 5,000 hungry people. Demeter is not the one who provides food. Jesus provides food. Demeter is fake. Again, revealing that which is real. Pergamum was given the honor of being the first city where the emperor cult was established. Now get this. The emperor is established first of all in Pergamum in which they declared Caesar Augustus is God and King. This is why John had been banished to the island of Patmos because he refused to acknowledge Caesar as God. He kept insisting that Jesus is Lord. And if you say that Jesus is Lord in a system that doesn't declare that, things are not gonna go well for you. He's revealing all the fakeness going on. That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. And John is saying, listen, caesar doesn't hold the sword jesus does i was standing there when jesus was at the mount of olives i watched him ascend to the father and sit down at the father's right hand he's god not augustus so why did john call this satan's throne dionysus the god of wine and life asculapius the god of healing demeter the god the goddess of food it's all counterfeit jesus is the real deal He's the one who controls the wine. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who heals. He's the one who provides food. So what is this teaching us? If you get life provision meaning from some place or something other than the real deal, you're always going to be left wanting because all the other stuff is counterfeit. It will never satisfy. That's the trap that the enemy has always used from the very beginning of time when he appeared to Adam and Eve, He tried to convince them that life could be found outside of God. So remove God out of the center and choose your own destiny. Make yourself your own God because you won't be happy unless you get him out of the control center of your life. And so we spend our time and our energy chasing after things in our culture that we think promise to give us life and meaning. And Satan wants you to think that the way in which you will get meaning is to look at it in people, places, and things of all the world around you. Not that those things are bad in themselves, but they are not meant to fill you and to meet your deepest needs. can't find it in a career, or in a person, or in money, or in power, or in control. The lie is that God will never come through for you that he won't make you happy, that he can't be trusted, that he's never going to be enough. So you have to go and bow down to these false idols and, or bow down and, and find meaning in other things. And when you think of idolatry, the very nature of idolatry is that it, it invites us to go find meaning in something other than God to make us happier, to give us a deep sense of satisfaction. But the moment you buy into this lie is the moment that you've lost sight of the power of God. Do you have the courage to identify the lies operating inside of your own lives? Do you have the courage to stand and speak the truth with courage and strength? Now, in the city of Pergamum, there were these white stones that I had mentioned earlier. And these white stones were, uh, on these white stones were, were names, people who were inscribed. These were the testimonies of the people that the snake god had healed. And if you look at verse 17 again, it says, "And I will give them, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hmm. Do you see the twist here? God is saying to his people, I'm gonna give you a new name that only you are gonna know. What does that mean? That means that God places us right here at this particular time in history. And he says, I want you to stand where you are right now. And I want you to give testimony To my power and my faithfulness at work in your lives to write your name on these stones won't be enough because you're the only one who knows the name you've got to say that name you've got to give testimony you're the only one who knows what god has done for you you've got to find the courage to say it out loud through your medium through your understanding of how it has worked in your life you've got to speak out your testimony of what God has done in your life. You've gotta find the courage to testify about how to be a witness for the reality that Jesus Christ has changed my life and I've been transformed by his beauty and his goodness and that he is the source of my healing and my meaning in life. It's like we're great at praising God for the big things, but what about the small things? I think our children need to see and hear us praising God for the small things. I mean, all of us could be such a great witness, testimony to our schools, to our kids, to the culture around us, to be the kind of person who publicly proclaims and acknowledges, you know, that what you have has been given to you by Jesus Christ. To be able to say to a doctor, I praise God for you because God chose to heal me through you. What John is saying to these Christians is you need to live as if all of this is true. This is why he's so adamant about the sexual immorality and the idol worship. He's saying, listen, it's not gonna do you any good to come to the temple of Dionysus and to participate in drinking and eating meat sacrificed to animals and to proclaim, it's Jesus who gives you meaning, not Dionysus. It doesn't work. It does no good for you to go through the interviews and to go before the priest and to stand before Asclepius claiming your healing and to participate in all these cultural acts of worship and then to go out and to proclaim to the world that it was Dionysus or Asclepius or whatever it is to to heal me. It's it's our desire and our outcome to go and to proclaim the world it was Jesus Christ who healed me. Jesus. The world needs to see us as white stones with new names written and inscribed. That's the invitation to testify Jesus to the world. Go in his strength, walk with an assurance that he's right there with you, filling you with courage, helping you to see what you need to see. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace be with you, my friends.
1: Okay, people of God, I want to invite you this weekend for us to read together something that we know and believe to be true. There's an old reading called the Apostles' Creed. You know it. You've read it before. Every once in a while, it's good to be reminded of what we believe. So this weekend, we're going to read it, And we're also going to sing it so be ready the words will be on the screen please follow along let's read together i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended into hell Amen
0: Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. Is in you descending into darkness, you rose in glorious light, ever seated. I believe in God, our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God
1: These are the words that we believe in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen